What is up, everybody? Welcome to Wednesday edition of Texans All Access. I'm your host, John Harris, football analyst and sideline reporter for your Houston Texans. Glad to be with you on this Wednesday evening, and we are jam-packed. We've got Andre Ware on the show. We've got Clint Sterner on the show. We've got Frank Frangie on the show. We've got David Fletcher on the show. We've got the In the Lab crew on the show. That's jam-packed. Is it not? Now you know you should know who all those people are. Maybe you know Andre Ware. You should you should definitely know Andre Ware. There's no question about that. You should definitely know Clint Sterner. You hear him every weekday, two to six, on our flagship Sports Radio six ten. Frank Frangie might be a name you're not totally familiar with, but we're gonna go men behind the mics. And Frank Frangie is a play-by-play voice, longtime friend of mine, longtime friend of Mark's. Uh, we know him very very well. Uh, in the time I lived in Jacksonville, I got to know Frank pretty well. And Frank joins us for our Men Behind the Mic segment. David Fletcher is the GM of Lone Star Sports Entertainment. And this weekend, the greatest football weekend maybe the city's ever seen. College game Friday night, college game Saturday, Texas game Sunday. Washington State, University of Houston Friday night, Advocate Texas kickoff, Texas Rice on Saturday, and then the Texans and Jags play at noon. Three games this weekend. Fletch is going to tell us how it all came together and what we can look forward to in those games. And then the in-lab crew. We're not going to talk too much about that Saints game. We're going to talk about the Jags. What to expect about the Jags and from the Jags. And we also dive deep into where were we 9-11-2001. And that's where I'm going to start tonight's show. Before I get into hot reads, before I get into anything else, it's, it's a day that, you know, like December 7th. It's a day that sticks with us. And obviously we all have holidays that we remember, you know, December 25th being Christmas, et cetera. And some of the others, New Year's Day is always January 1st. 9-11 has become one of those days that we, we remember. We remember where we were when, if you were old enough to have experienced that, unfortunately. And I lost a, a friend of mine in the Towers who I played with at Brown. Uh, I want to say he was at, uh, I want to say Morgan Stanley. I can't totally remember for sure. But uh, I know I lost one. I know there were some other uh, Brown University graduates. I know we were all connected to 2001. Uh, 9-11, 2001, in some way, shape, or form. And I think the one thing that strikes me so much about looking back on that day was the help, the assistance, um, the guidance that we got from first responders, from New York Police Department, from Fire Department, people just wanting to do to help, to see them carrying people out of the rubble, to go find people in the rubble of two massive towers, the twin towers in the city of New York, you know, and then our military engaging in a war that was, you know, it's a difficult one. And it was, the military went in and said, what can we do? Special ops forces. I mean, all those different groups that, you know, came together and said, okay, it's go time. And my hat goes off to all of them, to all of them. Uh, and, and a huge thank you because those folks let us do what we do. And I say this a lot of times. We shouldn't just thank them on 9-11 when we uh, have memories that come back to us from that day. Um, and I'll tell you uh, later in the show when Drew stops by, when we have our in the lab crew together, I'll tell you about that day from my perspective and my family. Uh, my brother-in-law was actually flying to Boston. That day was in the air heading towards Boston as planes were coming from Boston to New York. So... Uh, just an, an incredible situation, um, but to those first responders, and, and Drew was actually at a first responder event here at the stadium on this day. Uh, he said he just had a great time, and uh, our our 
cap is tipped to all of you. So uh, on this day, um, obviously football during that time became a, it became healing for a lot of people. And the Texans had not started to play yet. They obviously would start in 2002. But I know football in a lot of communities throughout this, this the United States was very, very healing. I know the World Series. Uh, obviously, President Bush throwing out the first pitch uh, at the World Series. And it was a great World Series. I mean, that was healing for a lot of people. So sports can do that. And football can do that. And so that's why, that's why we come together. Um, that's why Monday was such an, an incredible opportunity for uh, the Saints fans and Texans fans all to get together and celebrate something that we all love. Um, and in 2001, football helped a lot of people. And hopefully that's what this show can do is help a lot of people think about the Texans and think about football and take your mind off whatever ails you. And maybe we can entertain you. Maybe we can inform you on certain things. But that's what we try to do on this show. So we're going to do it. Let's do that. All right, let's jump into our hot reads. They're brought to you by Geico. 15 minutes can save you 15% or more on car insurance. And when we're talking hot reads on a Wednesday, that means we're going to go to the podium and hear a little bit from a few of the guys which we call Texans Audio Jukebox. Okay, first at the podium today, how about a little Deshaun Watson? Two years ago, we were talking about Deshaun Watson going and playing his first game and start his first game as a rookie. Gardner Minshew's going to do that. Deshaun was asked today what he remembers about that first game as a rookie. Doing things that... It's comfortable for myself that I was, you know, getting in a routine, getting in a rhythm, um, just trying to get my feet wet and, and try to, you know, manage the game and not put me in certain situations that I wasn't comfortable in or, or we didn't work on. So, um, yeah, I mean, the stats, you know, for himself, he did a good job for them to try to at least be in the game as much as they can and um, to have that offense continue to go like they wanted to. Of course, a big item that came up on Tuesday was the extension of Nick Martin. And obviously, center and quarterback are, these two are linked. They're going to be linked for a long time as center and quarterback. And Deshaun was asked what he thought about the extension for Nick Martin. Yeah, he deserves it. Congratulations to him and definitely more dinners for, for him to, to pay for the offense. Sometimes the game of football can be really, really easy. Now, we try and complicate it a lot. But Deshaun pretty much encapsulated why guys like DeAndre Hopkins have success against great players. He boiled it down to this. Just win your matchup. That's pretty much it. We don't, we don't try to trick anybody. We know exactly what we're going into this week. Jalen Ramsey is going to guard New Hopkins. A.J. Boyd is going to guard Will Fuller. And that's that. You got to win your matchup. So whatever route we call, whatever play concept we call, go win your matchup. And the best man wins. And uh, they go back and forth. They've been going back and forth since – you know, the last three or four years, and it's always been a good matchup, and they know that too, so um, it's the same routine going in this week. All right, let's move on the podium today to one J.J. Watt. Wednesday, so it's a Watt Watson Wednesday. I like the alliteration. J.J. stepped to the podium, was asked about the gravity of a day like today, 9-11, and looking back, and here's what J.J. had to say. Yeah, I mean, today's obviously a day for all of us to remember what happened on that day and all the men and women who lost their lives and everybody who responded and stepped up to the plate that day. So um, it's always a somber day. I mean, it it will be for the rest of our lives, and I think everybody always remembers where they were, uh, how they heard the news and everything. So um, it's a day that nobody will ever forget, and we never should forget it. Gardner Minshew, obviously a talking point today for both quarterback of the Texans, and the guy who will try and sack him, J.J. Watt. 
So, J.J. was asked, what do you think about Gardner Mitchell watching him on tape against the Chiefs? I thought he did a good job. Obviously, it's a tough situation um, for him to have to come into there, but I thought he handled it well. Uh, I thought it, you know, the situation didn't look too big for him, and he, uh, he handled it well, and the coaches did well to put him in positions to help him, help him out. So um, he did a good job. One of the biggest keys in this game is going to be how this defense handles Leonard Fournette. Texans have only faced him one time. That was the opener in 2017. He sat out the second one in 17 with a hamstring, sat out 18, the first one with a hamstring, and in 2018, the last one, who knows what he sat out with, but he didn't play. So the Texans have only seen him once, but they're going to see a new and improved Leonard Fournette. JJ was asked about stopping the big fella, number 27. He's a tough runner. Um, he can run downhill. He can run hard between the tackles, but he also has a little shiftiness to his game. He's, uh, he's got good vision, uh, so... Anytime a guy will run downhill like that and play tough physical ball, um, make some good running back, and I think he's obviously done a good job of that. Well, Bill Bryan spoke at the podium today. He talked about the four captains that walked out at the beginning of the game, Deshaun Watson, Dylan Cole, Jonathan Joseph, and J.J. Watt. He mentioned that those are the four permanent captains for this team. J.J. was asked about that particular honor. I mean, you always take pride in it. Um, I mean, when it's voted on by your teammates and your peers, obviously that means the most. Those are the guys in the locker room. Those are the guys that... Um, are here every single day and working with you side by side, so it's a true honor. Um, I think that's one of the bigger honors there is in the game when your own peers and the guys in the locker room that work with you every single day vote you that. So I take extreme pride in that, and I'm very thankful and honored that they would choose me for that. And uh, I'm going to continue to do my best to lead them as best I can. All right, there you go. There's your Texans audio jukebox for tonight. All right, next hot read. Let's get to the injury report. Oh, everybody wants to know about the injury report. I mean, why wouldn't you want to know? I mean, that's what that's what everybody wants to know, the injury report and what you're going to see on it. Now, the one thing you're going to see on it, the name you're going to see on it is, of course, Deshaun Watson. That's one that everybody asked about, and Coach O'Brien kept telling everybody, I'm, he's fine, he's okay. He said it today, he's all right. He was a full participant in practice today for your Texans. Now, he was joining the injury report. This is one, the one I'm always kind of curious to see. But he was joining the injury report in the full participation category by Kiki QT. That's great news. Deshaun Gibson dealing with a little bit of a wrist. Titus Howard was also a full participant dealing with that finger. Taiwan Jones, Justin Reed, they were all full participants at practice. For, your tech, uh, for the limited participation, Will Fuller, not injury-related, Limited, DeAndre Hopkins dealing with some ribs, Steel Calmette with the wrist, and then Greg Mance as, with that ankle still limited. Those are your four limited. Now, on the Jacksonville side, you had a couple of big names in the DMP section. Clays Campbell, foot, Yannick Ngakwe, hamstring. Whoa. But a little bit of good news for them is that Cam Robinson, their starting left tackle, was at least a limited participant in practice today. Still dealing with the knee. Don't know if he's going to be active. Don't know what that all means, but... Cam Robinson with a knee, one to keep an eye on. Marshall Darius dealing the elbow. That's another piece of good news. He did not play. Neither one of those guys played in the opener. Jackson would love to have those back. But Clays Campbell, Yannick Ngakwe, my guess is game on the road, those guys are going to see the field. A division game on the road they've got to have after starting on one, they're going to be on the field. This is going to be all chips all in. Go get a W on the road against your Houston Texans. All right, next hot read talk about a couple of transactions that took place. Aaron Colvin released. We, You've heard all about that from various people throughout the Houston media world, but Aaron Colvin released uh, after a year and some change here with Houston. Wish Aaron luck. In walks Philip Gaines. 
And if you're going, wait a second, I recognize that name. He's from Rice University. Had played a number of different places throughout the league. I think he's with Cleveland last. Six foot 193 and a guy who can run. I mean, he can fly. Now, hasn't been able to stick anywhere, but sometimes it works. When you hear a different scheme, you're asked to do something different. Maybe it works. Who knows? But Philip Gaines will step in. Cornell Armstrong, who was waived to make room for Philip Gaines and for Alex Magoo, the quarterback who moved to the 53-man roster, brought back today on practice squad. And finally, Nick Martin signs the extension that's been much talked about. And by the way, I know there have been a lot of people questioning what they're doing with Nick Martin. Like, oh boy, oh man, that's a lot of money to give a center, to give this center, etc. I want you to watch my Telestrator when it comes out on that final touchdown to Kenny Stills. And you watch Nick Martin save that play. Just watch it. Just go watch it. Trust me on that. And there you go. Those are your hot reads. Brought to you by Geico. 15 minutes can save you 15% or more on car insurance. All right. You guys like Heisman Trophy winners. I like Heisman Trophy winners. I like one Heisman Trophy winner better than all the rest. And that's our buddy Andre Ware. He joins the voice. Mark Vanderbeer next right here on Texans All Access. Calling all Houston area teachers. You want to bring a little Texas football to your classroom? Then sign up for Toro's Math Drills presented by ConocoPhillips. Toro's Math Drills is a video series designed to help third and fourth graders learn how to tackle math in the classroom. Go to HoustonTexans.com slash Toro's Math Drills to learn more. Now, a guy that I know is a superstar in the classroom. He's a superstar on the field. He's a superstar up in the booth. And that's our man, Andre Ware. The voice of the Texans, Mark Vandermeer, caught up with him earlier today to talk about Saints, talk about the Jags, talk about college football, a lot of stuff with our man, Andre Ware. Andre, after you've had a little time to recover from Monday night, your overall thoughts on what you saw the Texans' debut in 2019, obviously you wanted to see a win, but what do you think, my friend? Well, it's kind of like any uh, any first game of the season. There's always some some highs, some good things, some very good things, and then you know there's also things that you uh, you need to adapt to, to fix, uh, to get on e- immediately, and uh, you take the good with the bad, and you move on to week two and try to figure out a way to put a win in the win column. What do you think of the offense now having the ability to play at home? Another week of communication and practice and communicating at home without that deafening noise of the Superdome. Well, I think as a collective group, which I thought they needed to do during the the, uh, the preseason, now you've got some additions with Larry Tunsil and certainly Kenny Stills, uh, but I thought the group needed to play together more uh, to eliminate some penalties, to eliminate false starts, to eliminate you know, just getting the play called and so on and so forth, where guys are breaking the huddle together. And we saw some of that throughout the game. But as a whole, I thought it was a, a heck of a performance, especially on the part of Deshaun Watson. Uh, and DeAndre Hopkins was his normal self. But when you look at it overall, I think the guy that most impressed me more than anyone was the guy that's just been here a week, and that's Carlos Hyde, the way he ran the football and uh, and just kind of his overall knowledge of, of the uh, the offense, where to go, where to cut, things of that sort, running with power and speed. He was, uh, if I had a game ball of all the other stuff that went on in that game, I think I would have given it to Carlos Hyde. Dre, how can Watson protect himself better? He has the dynamic touchdown run. However, it was fourth and inches, and you don't want to see him hurt himself, but you don't want to take away from the playmaking ability. So what do you tell your quarterback in these situations? From the touchdown run, which was just an effort play, and you're just not going to be able to really coach that out of him. And I don't know that I would really want to, 
uh, it's within the scheme. Uh, he's getting pressure as he turns his back to the defense. And when he turns his back based on play action or boots and things of that sort, uh, they're coming from the position in which he turns his back to. So you don't really see the pressure coming until it's too late. So I think that's just something within the scheme that needs to be cleaned up. Andre Ware joining us. Dre, what about Stills? What about the other new guy, Duke Johnson, as they assimilate into this offense, and Laramie Tunsil as well? All three uh, made a case for themselves, and, and uh, especially with a limited amount of time that they've had to adjust and, and get acclimated within the, within the culture of the team, the locker room, and, and then certainly the offensive system in itself. And I think they'll be fine. Um, there are a couple of... Uh, instances where I think all three would like to get back, but uh, I think overall it was a a very positive uh, performance for just having been here one week. So now the defense faces Gardner Minshew, who we really don't know much about, but he had some decent numbers coming in in relief of Nick Foles the other day, threw the ball accurately. What are you thinking here as you face a rookie backup quarterback? He's a guy that's very familiar with the passing game, though, playing for Mike Leach and I think he was the uh, the Pac-12 Offensive Player of the Year uh, coming out or after after a senior year. Uh, 22 of 25 is not shabby, 88%. So they he he knows the offense. Got most of the work uh, throughout the preseason as well, and they've got capable receivers and guys like Marquise Lee and Dee Dee Westbrook and O'Shaughnessy, the tight end. They've, they've got an enormous, you know, a, a complement of weapons along with Leonard Fournette. But this is a game that I see them coming in and trying to just rely more on the uh, the offensive line and Leonard Fournette. They will turn this into a physical dogfight and just kind of, hey, we'll, we'll, we'll play this or we're willing to play this in the trenches. And I forget, forget DJ Chark, who led them in receiving as a big play receiver at four four receptions and 146 yards on those four receptions for a touchdown. So there's plenty of around Gardner Minshew where he doesn't have to go out and win a game by himself. Uh, he's got plenty of, enough around him to be serviceable. But I, and I don't look at uh, Kansas City, I think, can, can really make anybody look bad because of how they go about their business and get you out of, the, out of your game plan quickly because they score so fast. So I think it was just one of those games where it's the first game, you lose your quarterback, how do we get going again? And then there's some uh-oh in there when Foles goes down on both both sides of the football. So I don't think it's a uh, precursor for what Jacksonville truly is after week one. Yeah, especially on the defensive side of the ball because you look at the names, names you know well by now, like Calais Campbell and Yannick Ngakwe, Marcel Darius, Josh Allen rushing the passer, he's a new guy. But what do you think of that Jaguar D, which did so well last year? You mentioned the Chiefs. They're tough on anybody. And here you face a Jaguar team that, let's face it, a couple of years ago, it was really tough sledding against them. Ronnie Harrison, who's a third-round pick on the back end of that, with all that you mentioned uh, in the front seven and in the two corners uh, on the outside. They just had their hands full last week. They're going to have their hands full again. Uh, this week, but it's a group that can certainly get after you. Uh, they don't need the blitz to do so, but they, they certainly can do that. They can play man-to-man. They can mix coverages, so on and so forth. So this this will be as tough a game as uh, and equally as tough, I think, in a, in a different way. But 
equally as tough as the one that you just played on Monday night. But she's going to come in a different form, so to speak. But uh, they they're equally, maybe even more talented as an overall defensive unit than I think the Saints were, and that's that's kind of scary in its own right. What do you think of the Titans beating the Browns? Is that a Browns issue with just buying into the hype too much and coming out flat, or are the Titans that good, or a combination of things? What do you think? Combination of both, and uh, I think a lot of people have uh, almost, to a point, disrespected uh, Marcus Mariota. Uh, there was some people that loved him at points in his career, and then now it's kind of he's just kind of a so-so guy because of all the injuries. But when he is healthy. Uh, you know, he can, he's certainly more than capable of, of uh, not only doing the job, but being a, a, a really, really good, solid quarterback uh, in this league. And so he played that way on Sunday. They've got a guy that, and Derrick Henry is, that can just get downhill and show him uh, speed on a couple of occasions. This week in a different way, it was a, uh, a screen pass that he took to the house for 75 yards. And we've seen him break long runs as well. But he can also pound on a defense. And uh, they're as talented as what we've talked about in terms of New Orleans and Jacksonville on the defensive side of it. So it didn't surprise me what they did to Cleveland. And Cleveland was everybody's, uh, you know, everybody's pick, sexy pick to to get to the playoffs this year. Uh, I wasn't one that was buying in because at the end of the day, they're the Browns. And and, uh, they are what they are. We thought the Colts would still be pretty good without Andrew Luck because Jacoby Brissett is pretty good and they've got a good team. So here they go to Tennessee this weekend. What do you think of the Colts and their chances at Tennessee? The Titans always have trouble with Indy no matter what it seems. Teams in the division playing uh, one another this weekend. I usually don't see that much, but uh, that's a, that'll be another tall order going. I think they'll split. I think uh, Tennessee wins this one at home and then you get to Indianapolis, I think the Colts would have a, a, a better shot at taking down the Titans. But the Titans are, are, are a good football team. Indy went on the road and represented itself very well against a solid Chargers team. It's a long flight. It's a long trip. Uh, but they went out there and had a chance to uh, to win that football game and got it close, stayed close. Jacoby Brissett, uh, I thought, played very well in that game and uh, and accounted for himself very well. And he will continue to get better with uh, a lot of weapons or more weapons around him where he doesn't have to, uh, to, to, to be the offense, so to speak, where he doesn't have to lead it the way Andrew Luck did. So uh, I think that's a team that will get better as the season progresses. Dre, what do you got on the college circuit this week? Going to Cincinnati, and they play a solid uh, Miami University team from Ohio. It'll be a good football game, in my opinion. Dre, thanks so much for joining us. We will see you later in the week. Looking forward to it. Dre's absolutely right. Cincinnati's got some dudes that can play. That said, Ohio State, my goodness. Ohio State ran roughshod over Cincinnati. Now, Cincinnati lost its quarterback. I want to say second quarter of that game, but Cincinnati's got some ballers that can play. Man, I'm telling you, Justin Fields throwing to Chris Olave and K.J. Hill, handed to – J.K. Dobbins, Texas running back, with a defense that features Chase Young, who could be the number one pick in this draft. Now, it'll be a quarterback because it'll be in Miami. But my goodness, Ohio State is loaded. I, I thought there might be a little bit of drop-off. And by the way, I know that we're kind of in this mindset over the last couple of years looking for linemen and corners. If you're still in that mindset of looking for corners, Jeffrey Okuda on one side and Damon Arnett on the other. Two of the better corners you're going to see. 
I mean, just phenomenal football players. Jeffrey Okuda, in, in particular, number one for Ohio State, oh, total and complete baller. Oh, man. And I don't, I don't even say that much about Ohio State because you know they got talent, but these guys, holy smokes. All right, we get back, talk a little bit more about this game that we played on Monday night, talk a little bit more about the Jags. What is Gardner Minshew looking forward to? What will he see on Sunday against this Texans defense? Dirty Red, Clint Sterner joins me next right here in Texans All Access. Welcome back to a Wednesday edition of Texans All Access from the Hyundai Texans Radio Studio. I am your host, John Harris. I'm pleased to be joined by our good friend. You may remember him at the University of Arkansas or with the Dallas Cowboys in the Arena League over in World League Europe. I remember him because we just talk football all the time, and I love him. That's Clint Sterner. Clint, what's going on, brother? How you doing? Man, not much. I, I appreciate you introducing me as that true journeyman. I always hear about <laughs> Kurt Warner as an NFL journeyman. He made about $50 million doing it. I was a true journeyman, my brother. Different countries, different leagues, practice squads. I did it the hard way, my man. Yeah, but you know what, Clint? I, I say this to I say this to my wife. But your life was so much richer, my man. Your life was rich with experience, all the different places that you were. I mean, I I say it out of out of mad respect, man. The fact that you can take your game and play at the highest level, like that's that's the utmost respect from me, man. I just think it was a life. Full of rich experiences, brother. John, John, I, I, I would not have left the state of Texas. I went to Mobile, Alabama one time, and there was jellyfish all over the front lawn of the place. That, I, that was the only time I'd ever left Texas. And because of the game of football, man, I got to travel to, to several different countries and, and made, made a for me, a, good, a, a really good amount of money in a, in a short period of time. And there is no doubt about it, man. Getting paid to play ball for eight or nine years after I got through with college, I mean that that was a that was a big time uh, I mean big time experience uh, for me no doubt. Man, big time was Monday night, Clint, and I, it's weird. I have this really it, it's a weird feeling, Clint, because after the game, I, I was I was exhausted. I was I was drenched in sweat. I didn't think it was that hot, but just I think the emotion, everything that went with that game on Monday night. And then I kept flashing back to the great plays, especially offensively this team made. I kept thinking about what Whitney Merciless did. I thought about it was week one against a team that should have gone to the Super Bowl, and you almost knocked them out in their building. So it was a weird feeling Monday after the game. Clint, how did you feel just overall kind of 30,000-foot view of what you saw Monday night from the Texans against the Saints? I felt really good. I mean, other than the fact that obviously the Texans lost. I mean, look, when you're an old coach, John, I mean, anybody you've ever you've ever been around, including the greatest in 2019, you go ask Saban about going and playing in a national championship game against Clemson, the best team in the country. Um, you just want a chance to win it in the fourth quarter, man. You you, you want to lead in the fourth quarter, and and you want your team to have a dang chance and. The Houston Texans, all things considered, went on the road in arguably the most difficult place to play football on the the first week of the season with with fans that have been starved for six months, so they were louder than they've ever been. And, and again, it was on Monday night football, and and you go in there and you've got a dang lead versus a top-five team in this country with under 40 seconds to play. You can't ask for more than that other than finishing – and getting the victory, obviously, man. So, look, as I see it, I feel tenfold better about the Houston Texans today than I did 
Saturday afternoon, Sunday afternoon before this game took place, man. I, the, the Texans should hold their heads high. They should have gained uh, an extreme amount of confidence from this game. And uh, unfortunately, you're 0-1. you got a heel to climb. But, but, man, there's a lot of good to be taken from this loss. I, I would imagine, Clint, some of that good starts with number four. Now, he's got some weapons to throw to with Hopkins and Fuller and Stills and you know, his running game was, was really good, which will help. I mean, if you can go for over 180 against a team that was second in the league against the run last year as the Saints were, I'd imagine you feel pretty good. But overall, what do you see from Deshaun that you like? What do you see from him that you'd like to see cleaned up? Well, I, I tell you what I loved is, is that I loved, the, and I don't know if it was as much Deshaun Watson as I believe it was Bill O'Brien and Tim Kelly, but the approach in the first half, timely shots, not just taking shots to get Hopkins the ball. Timely, calculated shots, screens to, to your number one receiver and a third down, one of the best receiving backs that, that there are in the league. You use those guys uh, effectively, and, and you use them in an effortless manner instead of forcing the ball to them in obvious situations. The creativity was nice. The, there was a lot of good in the first quarter offensively. Of all the things that I've talked about in the offseason that I wanted to see the Houston Texans do and, and essentially get better at, I saw it in the first half. The adjustments at halftime were a little suspect, but, man, that first half was really good. As far as Deshaun Watson goes, you know, I, I think it's, it's the awareness of the situation. In that second half, um, the interception into double coverage. Take, he, he took a couple of sacks there. In, in, uh, back, there were two, two or three rough back-to-back drives. And I think as you evaluate that, if you sit down and talk to Deshaun, you really want to talk about at that point in time, it was all about swinging momentum. It was all about not allowing them to continue to gain momentum and that momentum to continue to, to climb when you're on the road in that situation. So I'm being really picky after a game where Deshaun Watson played lights out and showed showed tremendous development and maturity, I think the one lesson that you that, that you want your quarterback to learn is sometimes the situation uh, dictates that you can't be risky at that point in time. I know throwing into double coverage with the guys that you have sometimes works out, but you got to be aware of the situation. So if I'm going to be picky, John, that's it, and that's what I'm drilling to Deshaun Watson's head this, this week going into Jacksonville. We're talking to our buddy Clint Stern. You can hear him every single day, 2 to 6, every single weekday, with Rick Hamler right there on our flagship sports radio, 610. Clint, you you mentioned Deshaun, and you know he did it both running and passing, and obviously I think going to your decision-making. When he does run the ball he and he see, when he sees the end zone, that's when I actually start to worry a little bit because he, I know he's going to give up everything to go get in the end zone. But I asked Bill O'Brien this question at halftime, and I didn't have a lot of time to elaborate with him, Clint, but you having played the quarterback position, it sounds obvious, but I want to know the why. Because they ran the ball so well, because Carlos Hyde is pounding it for 8.3 a carry and Duke's, uh, I think, over 6 yards a carry, what does that do for your passing game? As a quarterback, when you're seeing your guys just chew up chunks of yards what does that do to the passing game, especially if it, if it forces the Saints, and it, sometimes they did, not all the time, but they'd get out of that two-shell because I think they did get worried about the pass or the running game a little bit. But from your perspective as a quarterback, when you see your running game just taking chunks of yards, 
How does that change the game for you? How does it change it, and how did it change it for Deshaun Watson? Well, I mean, cause as a whether you're Deshaun Watson or me or you watching it, at that point in time, you are dictating what the defense is doing. And there's a big difference as a quarterback when you break the huddle and you go, well, man, I may get one of three or four coverages, and, man, I hope they don't blitz this way, or, man, if they do, I've got to I've got to have answers to now we're running the rock on these guys, and now I know they're going to bring an eighth, an eighth uh, defender into the box, or what, let's say in, the, in today's game it could be a sixth or seventh defender. They're going to bring an additional defender into the box, and now I know I've got one-on-one coverage outside. And so I know where I'm going with the football. I know exactly – if, if the middle of the field's closed, I know I'm high low and number 25 right in the middle of the field. And so now you know you're dictating to them before you ever break the huddle or before you ever call the play, you know 100% that they've got to respond to something that you're doing instead of the, the opposite. As a quarterback, a lot of times the first, the first two drives of the game, you break the huddle and you go, okay, well, what are these guys doing? Oh, it's cover two? Okay, I'm going to work my tight end back down to my back. Or you break the huddle and you go, uh oh, they got eight in the box. Let me audible and let me let me let me throw this way or run this way. When you start running the rock, John, in the second quarter, in the third quarter, you're dictating to them, man. Y'all better make a move, and when you do, I'm gonna counter you and we're gonna hit you where it hurts. And so there's a big difference. There's a big advantage. Let's say that there's a big advantage when you're dictating what what how the game's going and what coverages they have to play versus you. Um, that that's that's just a, a, a big time advantage that this offense will have, and they did a good job of it for the most part this past weekend. On Sunday, the Jacksonville Jaguars come to town, and that means Nick. Oh no, the Super Bowl MVP will not be playing as he's out. He's on IR, so I believe he's out till Week Eleven. So Texas will not face Nick Foles this year. That means it's Gardner Minshew who will start in the NFL for the first time. Now, my partner Clint started in the NFL for the first time. What do you remember about that experience, Clint? How fast was the game going for you when you got in? How about the week leading up? What was it like getting that, that first start, that first action in the NFL? What are the things that Gardner Minshew is going to have to worry about in some sense that maybe he didn't have to worry about when he just gets thrown into the fray, they're down, he's throwing it all over the place? What is it leading up to the week that could, I don't know, maybe work in the Texans' favor, if you will, with Gardner Minshew starting as a rookie? Well, look, as, as far as a young guy going in, I mean, the, the playbook has to be pared down significantly. So so the ammunition, the arsenal that you have to attack uh, an NFL defense is, is quite quite frankly, just it's not enough. And and so you, the, the odds are stacked against you. Um, this particularly, this is a week for me that when R- Romeo Cornell's, uh, his disguising coverages, moving safeties, moving the front, that's going to be big time when you're playing a young quarterback because the young quarterbacks always second-guess themselves because they, they're they not Tony Romo. Tony Romo is the best in the business as far as ID and coverages and I, and knowing things before they happen. But your Drew Breeses of the world, all these veteran quarterbacks, they've seen it all. So you're not fooling them by moving moving the front or moving the safeties or belling corners. When you got a rookie quarterback up there, it's spinning – Things are moving fast, and when you're disguising coverages, you're giving yourself an advantage. So I would look for a lot of movement to, to, to confuse the young fella and, and and force him into some bad throws. But first and foremost, John, you know as well as I do, 
this is all about Leonard Fournette. I don't care what anybody thinks about Leonard Fournette, what they think he's done in the NFL or hasn't done, whether he's been a bust or not. They're going to come in there, and they're gonna, they got every reason in the book to run the football and commit to the run, probably to a fault. So this is going to be a challenge for Romeo Cornell to get in there and show that without Xavier Clowney in this lineup, you can still mash the run and be dominant against the run versus Jacksonville. This is a big week for them as much as it is for that young quarterback in Jacksonville. Yeah, I, I agree with you. I think this defense, after giving up 500-plus yards, and that, that leads me to this, Clint, because, yes, this is a Texan show, and I love talking about the Texans, but I love talking – first of all, I love talking to you about football, but I love talking to you about quarterbacks because you know it so well. When you watch Drew Brees – how much fun is that as a former quarterback to watch a guy like Drew Brees and just see him operate the way that he does? Obviously, we didn't want to see that the other night against the Texans, but he's one of the greatest in the game all time for that particular reason. How much fun is it when you watch Drew Brees, but what is it that really makes him special? Well, I, I think it's the bond between him and Sean Payton. I mean, both of those guys are individually without the other piece of the pot. Both of those guys are Hall of Famers. When you put them together – and and you, you get the, those two Hall of Fame minds working together, it's damn near unstoppable, John. I mean, it, look, the guy's got, the, I mean, what was he, 72% completion last year, 74% yeah. was the NFL record last year. I mean, two years ago, I mean, he, he's got damn near 70% uh, completion percentage in his career. That doesn't happen by accident. Everybody, I, I know I heard a story the other day about you watching him warm up. I've watched him warm up before. He doesn't just throw routes on air, air to an individual receiver. He throws it. And then with his full body, nose to toes, he goes through his progression. So you know in his mind, he's not throwing a single route. He's working a progression through an entire an entire play call. And so you're just talking about a guy that's next level, man. And, and that, that's why, for me, I don't give a damn if it was 500 yards for the Texans. I think the, the plan that was implemented versus, versus the Saints was damn good. You held him to three points. Um, you held them to 30 points, which is, is slightly below the average from last year. Look at their schedule in 2018. Very few teams held this team, held, I mean, held New Orleans, the New Orleans Saints to three or fewer points in a half, and very few teams held them to 30 or less points in a game. That, that plan, not only was it creative, and not only was it without one of, your, one of the guys that you had last year that was an all-pro, but it was damn good and gave your team a chance to win on the road. That, I'm, I'm not at all, I'm not at all uh, pissed off or, or, or mad about the plan that, that was laid out and executed on the defensive side of the football versus New Orleans. Wish it would have worked out in that last drive, no doubt about it, but I'm not mad about Rack's, Rack's plan. I appreciate the creativity, and I expect to see a lot of change this week versus a different offense, but I'm not at all uh, mad about the, the, the plan that was laid out last week. Clint, I got about 30 seconds. How do you feel if you're a Chicago Bears fan having watched Thursday night and Mitchell Trubisky struggling against the Packers and then turning around and watching Patrick Mahomes on Sunday and then watching Deshaun Watson on Monday night? How do you feel if you're the Bears right now knowing that you traded up to go get Trubisky and you still had Mahomes and Watson on the board? Oh, my God. What? Look, hey, brother, this is one of those deals where you truly tune out the noise, right? You don't want to hear anything that anybody outside your building saying because they're, they're, 
it's pretty damn accurate, right? But look, I mean, that's a crapshoot. You know as well yeah, as I course. do. I think Deshaun Watson, seeing what he did in Alabama versus Alabama, I don't think he was a crapshoot. I think he was a for sure lock. Yeah. But it's a crapshoot in the draft, man. Do these guys work out or do they not? And uh, the Houston Texans just at, at this time made, got lucky that Deshaun fell and uh, made the right decision for sure. Yeah, no doubt. Clint Sterner, you can hear him every weekday, 2 to 6, on our flagship Sports Radio 610. Dirty Red, you're the best, brother. We'll talk to you next week, my man. You got it, man. Thanks for having me, brother. I absolutely love having Clint Sterner on the air with me. Just absolutely phenomenal guest. Knows ball, loves talking ball. I go on his show at at 3.30 with he and Rick Kamala on our flagship Sports Radio 610. He comes on here. Uh, at about this same time each and every Wednesday. He is absolutely phenomenal. All right, it's time for this week's Stats Challenge, which is brought to you by Schlumberger. Visit HoustonTexans.com today to register to take the Stats Challenge. How about right off the bat? The number is four. Number is four. That, obviously, is Deshaun Watson's number. This also pertains to Deshaun. Three passing touchdowns. One rushing touchdown. On pace guy would tell you that's 48 passing and 16 rushing. I don't know if he's going to get to that. I don't know if he's going to get to that. But he had over 100 rating. He completed 20 of 30 passes the other night. Obviously, the last two the biggest. He led an offense that racked up over 400 yards against a defense that was pretty darn solid last year. But those four touchdowns, Mark talks about it all the time. 29 is the number. 29 passing touchdowns. Well, you throw up three touchdowns in a game and you probably left some on the field at some point, my goodness, what can this offense be? 29 should get obliterated if Deshaun is able to stay healthy for 16 games. A lot of that has to do with the offensive line. That's A lot of it has to do with the receiver staying healthy. All that has to do with health, his health, of course, coming back off uh, a pretty tough fall when he went down in the end zone, but he ended up being okay, said he was okay, he's fine. He's on the injury report, but... He said he's going to be ready to go, and I don't doubt him. If there's one thing, first of all, I don't think I ever have ever done, but there are times where I'm like, like the other night, I'm like, I'm thinking, nah, no way. Wait, this this one's, we played well. We're all right. Go home, fix it, get ready for Jacksonville, right? And then he goes, bang, Watson, or Hopkins, bang, Stills. We're ahead. Oh, my, we're, we're ahead? Oh, and I think that's why there was such emotion in that game. But four touchdowns, four. Three passing, one rushing. Schlumber's Day stats challenge would tell you that's he's on pace for 64 touchdowns. Man, that would, that would be a record. That would be incredible. I hope he gets there. And, I, and I'll be there to see it. Man, absolutely love it. All right, coming up at the top of the next hour, we're going to kick it off with our Men Behind the Mics segment. That means Mark Vandermeer sits down with the voice of the Jacksonville Jaguars, Frank Frangie, good friend of both of ours, next right here on Texans All Access. Let's kick off the second hour talking about the Jacksonville Jaguars. Yeah, I know this is Texans All Access, but you got to know what's going on on the other side, right? Well, each and every Wednesday to kick off the second hour, we go men behind the mics. It's a homework assignment that I have given to Mark Vandermeer year after year after year. And I think secretly that he, he likes it. When he's done with the interview, he's like, oh, you know, that helps him learn a little bit about the team. And we get a chance to catch up with some old friends. Not stressing the word old, but I've known Frank for a long time, having, having lived in Jacksonville. Mark's got to know him over the years, being the voice of the Jags and the voice of the Texans. 
It's time to go behind the mics with the men behind the mics. Mark Vandermeer with Frank Frangie, the voice of the Jacksonville Jaguars. I know you're a divisional opponent and everything, but my heart went out to you and the franchise after seeing what happened to Nick Foles, knowing so many people work with the Jaguars. I know that had to be tough to see, but some encouraging things out of the backup quarterback, and we all want to see what Gardner Minshew is going to do, but what was your reaction when you saw what happened to Foles and what transpired after that? Oh, Mark, it was a gut punch. Thanks for having me on, by the way. Good to talk to you. Oh, man, it was a gut punch. It was, you can imagine, you're calling the game, and and you watch the ball, right? So it was a great throw, great catch by DJ Chark. It looked like, hey, this is going to be a bit of a track meet. Our guys are going to be able to keep up. We're headed for 45-42, right? And it's 10-7, to and you look down there, and Nick is being helped off the field. And I think at that point, Mark, it was an absolute gut punch. I've done this a long time, as you have. It was a gut punch for everybody here. It was like, are you mm. kidding? Uh, this guy signed a, excuse me, a four-year, eighty-eight million dollar con- uh, contract. I don't know that there's been a more anticipated player debut in the Jaguars' twenty-five-year history, as far as you're waiting to see the guy. I mean, he was the, you know, you're excited about rookies. They drafted Bortles and they drafted Blaine Gabbert, but they're rookies. You don't expect them to take you to the promised land the first year. You're excited about what you hope they might be down the road. It didn't pan out for those two, but you know what I mean. Yeah. Uh, when you drafted Deshaun Watson in Houston, you couldn't wait to see him, and you were excited about what he might be down the road. But even as a rookie, I don't think people thought he was going to the promised land then. Well, you just paid this 30-year-old guy who's been a Super Bowl MVP big dollars to pair him on the opposite side of your really good defense. And then we wait. it seemed like we waited forever to see the guy. You know, Mark, you, you sign in March. You get word in February he's probably signing. And then when he finally plays, it uh, it doesn't doesn't last very long. So it was a gut punch, and I think everybody around here felt that. But hey, it's next. It's a next man up league. It's a next man man up sport. And you're right, Gardner Minshew came in and played pretty well. All right. So Frank Franchi joining us, by the way, voice of the Jacksonville Jaguars. What about Minshew? What are we getting here? It's funny because he played for Mike Leach, who's going to be here Friday night with the Washington State Cougars against the Houston Cougars. So I find that interesting. And I see that some of Leach's personality might have rubbed off on him as well. But what about the kind of guy he is and the kind of quarterback he might be? Well, let's start with the guy. He's a wonderful guy. He, yes, he's eccentric. He's funny. He wears the goofy mustache and the funny clothes. And he's got some of Mike Leach's eccentricities. There's no, there's no doubting that. And that's, but that's made him fun. But beyond that, behind that, I guess, Mark, is a really good grounded kid. He has said all the right things. He's, the media has fallen in love with him, not because of the eccentricity, as much as he's a good guy, he's available, he's, he's already ingrained himself into sort of the charitable community here. But he's a good dude. There's no doubting that. He's also extremely smart, way ahead of the curve in terms of understanding what the defense is doing. You know, some guys are smart, and then they're smart fast, meaning you can, and, and Deshaun Watson certainly qualifies here, and that is you can figure out what the defense is doing and adjust very quickly. A lot of guys can watch it on tape, and after tape study with their coaches, figure, oh, yeah, oh, yeah. But can you can you adjust immediately and check out of this play and into that play and check down from that route to this route because you see it happening at NFL speed, which is really fast? Well, he looks like he's ahead of the curve there, Mark. He, he looks like a guy, for, for a guy that just got to the league, who's 23 years old, he does that stuff pretty quickly. So you're getting a guy, I think, that's smart, that will not – He's not afraid. The moment has not been too big for him. That's all those things. He's good. 
Now, the question is, well, then why did he go in the sixth round, not the first round? Well, he doesn't have great athletic skills. He doesn't have a big arm. He's got an average arm. He's not super big. He's not super athletic. He's not running away from people. He is a six foot one, 220-pound, really smart, accurate passer with, an, with a better-than-average arm, but it's not a howitzer. So that's what you're getting, a six foot one, 225-pound guy who's really smart, who is not the game is not going to be too big for him. The moment's not going to be too big for him. Uh, but he doesn't have a rifle arm. He doesn't have electrically electric feet. Um, he's uh, he's a guy that will, will go through the go through his progressions and uh, going to be kind of fun to watch. The question is, he's still a rookie. How long will it take him to get even better and better and better at the stuff he has to be good at, which is the kind of the uh, the mental side of it? Frank Frangie, voice of the Jaguars, with us, Frank. John Harris says hi, by the way, and wanted me to ask, what about the improvement of the receivers and how that helps out Gardner Minshew? Tell John hello. It's always good to hear from my buddy John John Harris. Yeah, I, I still call him a good Jacksonville guy, whether he's missing or not. Telling us what I said, he's a Jacksonville guy through and through. Um, uh, and it'll be good to see John and, and all you guys on on Sunday, Mark. Uh, the receivers that, that that's probably the biggest Im- improvement in the football. This football franchise has never had elite receivers. Ever since Jimmy Smith and Keaton Marcardell walked off the field in the 90s or early 2000s, this, this team has never had elite receivers. Allen Robinson had a good year as a young player. Reggie Williams caught 10 touchdowns one year. But they've never had that. I think this core receivers, Westbrook's going to be a star. I'm telling you, he's going to be a star. Uh, DJ Chark started to show up last week. He's a second-round draft pick who's big and fast. And I think Chris Conley was buried a little bit in, in Kansas City. So, yeah, I think if that's a, another one of the things that was so disappointing about seeing him lose Foles is Foles and those receivers, finally, the Jags would have a legitimate passing game, which they haven't had. They've had that great defense. They've run the ball well over the years. Uh, but they haven't had a, a legitimate passing game, really, since Mark Brunel in the early years. So, uh, yeah, I think the receivers are very good. I, I, I do. Can Gardner get him the ball on time will be the question, but I think it's very good. All right, what about the Leonard Fournette version we're getting this year in 2019? Looks pretty good so far. Your thoughts? Yeah, I think so. I, I think Leonard is, Leonard's a good player. He had to grow up a little bit. I think he has. He had to be in better shape. I know he has. Um, they're going to use him a lot now. I mean, he played 86% of the plays, Mark. They, they snapped it 58 times, and he was in for 50 of them. That's probably too many. Rockwell Armstead, this rookie out of Temple, who's going to be a pretty good little player for him, probably has to play a little bit more. Alfred Blue, who you know well was probably going to get some of those snaps, but he got hurt in the preseason, went on IR. I think Alfred probably would have gotten 10, 12 snaps uh, that ultimately that Fournette kept. So I think he's, he's got to not get quite as many snaps as he did. But Leonard looks good. Leonard's not the problem. Leonard ran hard. He ran low. He caught the ball well out of the backfield. I, I think that part's going to be okay. Uh, my only concern at running back is you can't run him into the ground. He, he's, he's, you can't, you got to be careful. you got to mix up those carries a little bit. So I would expect to see more of Armstead, the backup, the rookie out of Temple, a little bit this week. Frank Frangi, voice of the Jacksonville Jaguars, with us on Texans Radio. Okay, the defense, we all know what they did last year. Among the highlights, 6 nothing shutout of the Colts late when the Colts really had it going on. How are they different, better, worse this year, Frank? Yeah, it, it'll be interesting to see. Um, they, This guy, Josh Allen, is going to help them. He's, he's going to help them a bunch. Uh, he's a good pass rusher. Uh, combined with Ngakwe and Calais, I think they will really get after passes. That's a matchup that that will be interesting to watch this week because, as you know, uh, the Texans take a lot of sacks. Took a lot of sacks Monday night. Took a lot of sacks last year. And even with Tunsil there, the Jags uh, really rushed the passer well. So I think that's an interesting matchup from this standpoint, Mark. 
Uh, so I think better there. Safeties are a concern. Uh, they're, they're playing two new safeties. Ronnie Harrison, a third-round draft pick a year or two ago out of Alabama. Jared Wilson, a guy that's uh, a little bit of a journeyman, a young journeyman that's, been, that's won the free safety job. I think you can attack him in the middle of the field. So I think safety is a concern. Uh, they're awfully young at linebacker. Um, ever since Telvin Smith left, there is just a different core. I think it's potentially a good core, but youth at linebacker, youth at safety is the biggest concern. The cornerbacks are very good. A.J. Boye, as you know, is very good. Uh, Jalen Ramsey might be the best corner in the league. The, 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 the front four, even without Darius last week, actually played pretty well. So it'll be a similar defense than last year. Uh, they get after the ball. You know that. They're, they're very good. Uh, they've got to be careful at safety. If there's, a, if, there's, if there's a weak area, I think it's probably the middle of the field. Frank, what about the AFC South now? The Colts lose luck. Your thoughts on how they might be without them? I know they lost to the Chargers, of course. And the Titans beating Cleveland, is that a Browns hype hangover, or are the Titans that good? I think the division's good, Mark. I really do, man. I I think the Texans are legit. The Texans go to New Orleans against one of the best two or three teams in the league and probably should have won the game. Obviously, almost won the game. That had to be gut-wrenching for you guys. Uh, the Colts. I like Brissett. I like Brissett in college. I liked. I, I I thought when we went up there to practice with the Patriots a couple years ago, he was the third teamer because they still like Garoppolo. But you could tell there was something there. I think the Colts are pretty good. They've done a nice job, I think, of, of building that that roster in recent years. Um, look, I. It's weird how things change, isn't it? On Friday, I'm thinking Jags. I love the Jags in the division here. They've got Foles. They've got this great defense. Um, the, the Texans have some concerns on their line. This is before Tunsil. The the Titans look like they're just okay. The Colts lost luck. And then we watch all the, the weekend transpire. The Jags lose foals, get Miles Jack ejected. The, the Texans almost beat the Saints. The Colts play a wonderful game in Los Angeles, lost in overtime. And the Titans roll the Browns. Now I'm not sure what to think of the division. Here's what I do think. I think it's a really good division. I think I think all all four teams, if Gardner Minshew can hold up his end, and that's hard to ask for a rookie. It really is. But if he holds up his end, and we do think Nick's going to come back at midseason. It's, it's, we think it's eight games and he's back. Mm. So if Gardner Minshew can hold up his end for, for our team, I think it's going to be one whale of a division, Mark. I really do. I, I love the division. I think it might be one of the better ones in football. Yeah, I agree with you, Frank. Hey, thanks so much for joining us. We look forward to seeing you on Sunday. Mark, anytime, man. See you then. Look forward to seeing Frank here at Energy Stadium along with a number of the Jacksonville Jaguars employees, team members that we know. One team member we definitely know, A.J. Boye. Know him for sure, uh, amongst others. A lot of of friendships in this Jacksonville-Houston rivalry, at least I know for me, no doubt. Seeing Jacksonville is kind of weird because that's kind of, as a young adult, who I grew up with. But either way, uh, I wear the Texans logo. I wear it proudly, and I will in no way, shape, or form uh, have any desire to see Jacksonville win on Sunday. None whatsoever. Now, this weekend is perhaps the greatest football weekend the city of Houston's ever seen. Advocate Texas kickoff, Washington State, Houston on Friday. University of Texas versus Rice on Saturday. Texans v. Jags on Sunday. You can't beat it. Three games at NRG Stadium. The man instrumental in helping work through all of these issues and making sure that it runs smoothly is the GM of Lone Star Sports and Entertainment, David Fletcher. We talk with him next right here at Texans All Access. All right, all right, all right. It's time to talk a little college football on this edition of Texans All Access with my good friend, the GM of Lone Star Sports and Entertainment with 
a huge weekend on tap. It's my buddy David Fletcher. Fletch, how you doing? I'm doing great, Johnny. Are you breathing? I'm, I'm doing. No, we're. This is what we live for, man. I, I, all right, all right, all right. You know who played that that character, Wooderson? You know yeah. who played that character? I do. His name is Matthew McConaughey. That's right. He's the minister of culture. He's the MOC at the, at the baby. University of Texas. And the University of Texas will be one of the four great college teams here this weekend for what you said. A big, big weekend. The biggest ever in Houston uh, of, of football as uh, three games in three days. We're going to have some fun with this. How about this? And then this is, I mean, this just kind of came out of the blue. But <laughs> All right. you got Washington State in Houston on Friday, and we've had that game on schedule yep. for how long? I mean, over months. Year. Yeah, I mean, for, yeah, a while. And all of a sudden, Jacksonville Jaguar quarterback Nick Foles gets hurt, and who backs him up? Gardner Minshew, who last played at Washington State. So Cougars are going to be featured here in a big way Friday night, and then an ex-Cougar going to be featured on Sunday against the Texan Texans. So let's just just talk about that game first of all. The the Cougs and the Cougs. If you're a gambling man, just bet the Cougs, and you'll win either way. Uh, you also lose too. But that said. You've got Washington State coming in here with Mike Leach. You've got Dana Olgerson with the University of Houston. Uh, Houston gets a win last week. Dana not completely pleased with it, but they went up to Oklahoma. They competed. Jalen Hurts just a little bit much for them. I would imagine that our scoreboard operators, our video board operators, are going to have to check the light bulbs and the LED bulbs and make sure they're, they're fixed because there could be a lot of points scored in this one. There will be. There's no doubt. I mean, it's Friday night lights on the biggest stage. You've got two old friends, a mentor and mentee. Mm-hmm. You've got two of the the best coaches in the country coming together. Uh, and and you know, there's no there's no night like a Friday night in Texas, yep. and, and that's for sure. Uh, this this weekend, uh, the Advocate Texas kickoff for 2019. You mentioned it, Coog versus Coog. Washington State's coming in. They've lost one game in two years, and they are on fire. They yeah. picked right up after Garner left. And they are playing very much the same style of football offensively with a little bit of defense mixed in Yeah, um, to start the season. Uh, coming in 20. You know, the Cougs, as you mentioned, uh, for the hometown Cougs, U of H, look, you know, they, they, had a, they had a rough first game out of the year. Um, anytime you get scheduled with uh, Oklahoma and yeah. Norman, you know, but that's a return from the 2016 Advocate right. Texas kickoff. Right. When, when U of H gave, gave uh, Oklahoma a, a, a sound beating. Right. Um, and and look, you know they've got Derek King back. He's still coming back from that ACL last year, but one of the most electric players in the country. Uh, and Dana's trying to really instill a new culture, a new attitude, and and really get some of his guys up and running. So, you know, week three, this is going to be a really great test for both teams. Yep. You've got the national broadcast window on ESPN. I know they're excited to have this type of matchup this early in the season. Uh, and fans here certainly should be, too, and they are. This is going to be a fun night for, for everybody associated with the Cougars. Yeah, exactly. Good <laughs> way of putting that. Fletch, this might sound like a weird question, but having a Pac-12 team in here, I mean, I know that we're not all the way on the East Coast. Like, I get that. But sometimes the West Coast kind of lives on its own. Now, some people say that about the SEC that they like to stay kind of in their own environment as well. But I'm always intrigued about, cross-country matchups, traveling to go play. And that's why when this matchup was announced, I loved it. Because you had University of Houston here, obviously. But then you got a Pac-12 school coming in here. And I know Pac-12 schools come here to Houston to recruit. And I know Mike's got a connection. Mike Leach has got a connection to the state of Texas. But how unique is that? Because the bowl game is SEC Big 12. And that fits perfectly for this region. And we know how geographically like right the fit is for that. 
But bring the big uh, Pac-12 team in here. That's intriguing because it's a not that it's a different brand of football because I think everybody's sort of playing some version of what Leach is doing. But do you see the value, or how do you look at the fact that a Pac-12 team is coming to Houston to play in a game like this? No, I think it's a huge opportunity for the school. Certainly, um, you know, Leach has got a great brand here in Texas. He recruits it well. Right. You've got a number of you've got a number of. Uh, uh, of uh, reasons that uh, they like Texas, um, and none more so than just their most recent bull trip down to San yeah, Antonio true. this yeah. past this past off season. So had a great experience beating a really good Iowa State team. Um, you know, from our perspective, our partners are ESPN. You know, an opportunity to get a big time team like Washington State um, mm-hmm. is, is something that that candidly, you know, they they don't get enough of. They're usually playing that late window, That's right? True, so yeah. this is a prime time game, um, and for for Houston, it's a huge opportunity to once again. You know, show ourselves off as the as one of the best markets for college football. Um, you know, the Pac-12 is a really important part of the college football universe. You know, they're they're obviously um, a Power Five conference. They're a big part of the reason why Houston was voted to have the 2024 college football playoff championship coming here to NRG, and we're going to be a big part of that. But you know, it, it's not it's not something that we get to have every day. So we're going to celebrate. It. We're going to have some fun with it, and, and certainly starting Thursday when Washington State hits the ground. You know, Mike Leach is going to have is is certainly going to be welcome back from the media perspective. Yes, they're going to love getting some quotes and 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 uh, talking with him about how, you know how he sees this matchup, and he's been talking about it a lot this week. As is Dana, you know, the, these are two very similar offenses. Mm-hmm. They're two uh, very um, close uh, friends, and uh, you know, it's an opportunity for them to 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 kind of go head to head on a big stage like this. Uh, it'll be fun to see what kind of tricks they pull out of their bag. It's interesting you bring that up because the Athletic wrote an article. I think it was just today they released it. And it went back and it looked. I think it's the 2002 or 2003 Texas Tech squad all across the board. The coaching staff and the players that turned into coaches. It's a phenomenal number. And on that staff were Dana uh, it, with, obviously, Mike Leach, who was the head coach. But you also had Cliff Kingsbury, who was the quarterback, who is now coach of the Arizona Cardinals. Wes Welker, who was here for a while as a coach. He's now with San Francisco 49ers. Dave Aranda was also with that Texas Tech squad. I haven't read the article, but I just happened to see the picture and noticed a few of those guys and names. So it's interesting, the, the coaching tree. Now, coaching tree did not produce Tom Herman. He came through the University of Texas and then ended up back at the University of Texas. Tough one on Saturday against LSU. But, Fletch, I say this. This might be the most fun Texas offense I have seen maybe since Vince was there. Maybe You can argue maybe the Colt McCoy years, but still – I didn't enjoy watching the offense at Texas. Really, I really didn't dive into it until last week. Last week against LSU, I'm like, boy, this is fun to watch. With Eagles and Colin Johnson, uh, the way they were with Devin Duvernay, who was the Big 12 Offensive Player of the Week, that Texas offense is fun to watch, and Sam has really improved as a passer. If they could get some of the running backs back, boy, they could be really good. I know they didn't win the game last week, the Longhorns didn't, but... I would imagine they got to feel pretty good about how that team competed on Friday night, or excuse me, on Saturday. We're going to see a very salty Texas team in here against Rice. Yeah, you are. There's no question. I mean, and, and you you said it. You know, you can't be you, you can't you can't take it as a victory because they they ended up losing the game. But but they were there's a lot of things to build from. If yeah. You're, if you're Tom Herman and the, and the Texas Longhorns, um, certainly the, the the CFP voters agreed. Mm-hmm. Uh, Texas only dropping to, to number twelve. 
um, from 10 after that loss, and what an amazing game and atmosphere it was. And so, you know, we get an opportunity to have the same thing here. Look, I don't know if you've been paying attention. Who am I kidding? I know you've been paying attention. <laughs> um, Mike Bloomberg and the Rice House have had a, had a pretty good start to the season, yeah. despite not having a win on the board yet right. either. That Army victory, you know, or that Army, that Army loss they had week one, yeah. um, that's a totally different team than they've had. And it really is starting to see Mike's uh, philosophy take shape. So you've got two head coaches that, that are really – you know, in the in the in the second year, I guess third year of their of their processes in in Herman's case, but um, really kind of laying in the foundations. They're starting to see the results. Um, you know, old old rivalries from back in the Southwest Conference day; those those years certainly are a while back. But you know, from an entertainment value perspective, Saturday night going to be a lot of fun, just like Friday night. Um, it's definitely something that if you're a college football fan, if you're a fan of sport, these are the kind of games you want to come out and and certainly be a part of. This yeah. is going to be a big big deal for for our organization for for our community to have four quality uh teams in the market um and three really very relevant teams along with a very um very well-known washington state team um this is gonna be some fun and uh, i encourage people if you haven't yet get your tickets for it there are there are definitely um opportunities available at this stage call us uh 832-667-2210 ticketmaster.com lsse.net um, some great package deals available, but um, there's going to be an amazing atmosphere both Friday and Saturday night leading into Sunday's uh, Liberty Whiteout. Um, don't miss out on it if you, if you have the opportunity. you got two opportunities this weekend, two choices. Pick one. You know, and uh, pick all three. Pick all three. Pick all three. There's a lot of people are picking all three. That's yeah, for sure. Go but, all uh, three. I mean, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. I mean, that's the way football. But we want to see you out here, and and you know, I know Friday night's going to be a, a show, and and Saturday is is you know, like you said, that offense is something to 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 behold that Texas has, but um. Come out here and, and get a chance to see football at its best at NRG Stadium. You just yeah. don't get these opportunities as often as you think, and we've got some good ones this weekend. Yeah, no doubt. Last one. Got about a minute left. What's the biggest challenge overall to put on two games in two days before a noon kick on Sunday? Well, there's no question. This has been a total team effort. Um, we As soon as the NFL schedule was announced back in April, we saw that we were going to have three games, three days, 43 hours and 10 minutes if you're counting but uh <laughs> which is unprecedented yeah unprecedented for our organization but we're you know that's what we live for so you know certainly the communication is, has been key we've had months of planning uh, almost six months of getting together on a, on a very regular basis to talk through those challenges to ensure operationally we've got the right process in place you're flipping the building three times in that period so a couple overnights you know the op screw is going to be burning the midnight oil literally yep. Um, these games are starting late on Friday and Saturday, so that means they're going to be ending late on Friday and Saturday. You know, guys like you got to keep the lemon tea, you know, going. You got to keep that voice going because you're going to be working all three with me, and Whew. you know, it'll be a lot of fun for for um, for for all of us who get to be a part of it. You know, we always have just enjoyed the opportunity to to put on these type of events. Yep. Um, you know, our partners at the rodeo here, they do it every night for three weeks straight every year. But um, this is our version of that of that quick turnaround. It should be a lot of fun. Knowing that it's a big deal for Houston and a big deal for uh, for fans of, of the game of football. Well, if anybody could pull it off, anybody could be the leader of that group, you would be the right guy, David Fletcher. GM of LSSC, Lone Star Sports Entertainment, putting on Washington State, Houston, Advocare, Texas kickoff on Friday night, Texas Rice on Saturday, and then, of course, we'll all be in the building for Sunday's game against the Jaguars. Kickoff is at noon. Fletch, appreciate your time, brother. Thanks, Johnny. What a weekend that is going to be. Cannot wait. More football you give me, the better. Now, speaking of football, the in-lab crew is going to talk about the Sunday game. 
the Jacksonville Jaguars coming to town. Drew Doherty and I talked about that, and we look back at 9-11-2001 with some thoughts about where we were and how we experienced that next right here on Texans All Access. One final segment of Texans All Access on this wonderful Wednesday evening. I'm your host, John Harris, football analyst and sideline reporter, and it's time to bring in my in-the-lab crew partner, Drew Doherty. We didn't want to talk about the Saints. We did a little bit. But our podcast has been blowing up thanks to you guys. We really appreciate that. And each and Wednesday, I play a snippet from that podcast. And we really wanted to focus on the Jags. We wanted to focus on the Jags. And what we did talk about with the Saints were our cream of the crop guys. And then finally, we shared a few thoughts about where we were on 9-11, how we experienced it, and what that day means to both of us. Take a listen. Let's talk about the Jags. All right. It's all about a rookie quarterback, John. I, I know we can say a lot of other things. We can talk about yeah. Leonard Fournette. We can talk about the defense. We can talk about protecting Deshaun Watson. Rattle the rookie, and you walk away with this one in your back pocket. Gardner Minshew, though, really not your typical rookie from what we've seen so far. It's very limited, two and a half quarters maybe. And this is a guy who was 22 of 25. He was very accurate with the ball. Wasn't going deep necessarily all the time, but right. still – 22 at 25, I don't care where you're throwing it. That's still pretty impressive. That's very impressive. You got a guy who played under Mike Leach. He's a heady guy. Mike Leach wants his quarterbacks to be accurate. He wants his quarterbacks to be leaders. He wants his quarterbacks to do good things with the ball. And that's a guy who checked off all those boxes last year at Eastern Washington. He's got a niche of followers in the media Mm -hmm. that absolutely adore him. Put him on a pedestal. Yeah, because of the stash. Because of the, the mustache. And he's he's got a good personality. He's a fun guy. But this is a guy that Romeo and company, I think, can rattle, can get after, can do some things. And I really think that's just kind of the key to everything, John. I think what you said is perfect. I'm going to change the word can to need. Yeah. They need yeah. to be able to do that. I think I've thought about this a lot, just the, the psyche of a player. I think when you're a young player and you're not expected to start, the Jags paid all that money to Nick Foles. You're not going to unseat him. So you're probably not going to see the, the field. But you are one snap away, so you do have to be ready. Well, that one snap came. Ironically, it came on a false touchdown to DJ Chark down the sideline. Mm-hmm. But that's when it came for Gardner Minshew. When you get thrown into the fray like that, as both a player and a coach, as a player, you're just like, all right, I, I, I got to go. All right, I got to go. What am I going to do? I got to throw the open guy. I'm just going to throw the open guy. As a coach, you're going, okay, just give this guy something that he knows. You kind of, in your mind, you kind of pare it down. Like, okay, what do you like? Let's go with that. Let's repeat it. Let's see it again. And now the defense is kind of going, we know this guy, but how much do we know this guy? Once there's more film on him, obviously everybody says that. Once you get more film on a guy, you have an idea. But I think getting some pressure on him, showing him different looks – but for him, having to prepare a whole week as the guy, that's a different <clears throat> mindset. Man, I was going to say, what you just said there, It's you, you can. I wish you could see what I'm doing right now, but i got one hand up high and one hand down low. So he came in. He didn't have to worry about prepping. Nothing. Just kind of came just in play. and played some ball. So right. he was up there. And then on the other hand, you had that defense that hadn't seen any of him. Right. And that's down low. Well, the scales get a little bit more even. How even, right. we'll see. Right. But those, he comes down a little bit, like I've said, because it's one thing to just – Get in loose, but man, you got to think all week long about it. You're right. hearing from all different, not just your teammates, you're hearing from family and friends about Everybody, this, yeah. your agent, all that. I mean, it's right. a big opportunity for him. We'll see how he responds. You're exactly right. And I think that's the kind of thing that can build up in time. Now, 
when Sean Watson was afforded that opportunity, mm-hmm. he basically had three days to get ready. Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, go play. So that, that sort of helped him, I guess. But Deshaun had been in huge situations throughout his career, high school, college, and then up to that point in the NFL. Minshew's been a guy that and I think his story is pretty it's compelling. He was at East Carolina, did a good job, but he was going to go to Alabama to be a backup. That's mm-hmm. what he was going to do. He was going to stay in the South. He was going to go to Alabama to be a backup. And then Mike Leach called him last minute like, hey, you don't want to be a backup? Come play for me. You compete for the starting job. He wins a starting job, has a great year, All-American, gets himself drafted. I mean, just incredible stuff. So from that perspective, he's a guy that I think you can rattle to a degree. Maybe you won't see him sweat. But maybe inside, it's just like, okay, maybe you're having an impact. So whether you can get to him, whether you can harass him, whether you can just show him different looks, your disguise has got to be on point. you got to show him something that he has never seen before and see if that doesn't afford you the opportunity to get an interception or turnover or, boy, he has somebody open and he misses him because he's looking somewhere else. I mean, that's what you have to try and do with a guy like this. Got to do our cream of the crop. Oh, okay. So – this week's cream of the crop. I want you to explain cream of the crop. I think people know, but I want you to explain it for the people. Who's the best? What's the best? Who was the, who was the cream of the crop? The best player that you saw on Monday Night Football? So, I mean, it's pretty. It's going to be pretty clear most weeks. You know, I think oh, it's. Thank you. And there's we each have one, so I think it's going to be pretty clear. Like we can each choose one. Mm-hmm. I'll choose one. You could choose the other. I'm going to go with one, and I think it'll be automatic who you choose, and vice versa. If you were to start, mm-hmm. you know, if you choose one, I know who I'm going to choose on the other one. So. I'll make things easy. I'll go first. DeAndre Hopkins, cream of the crop. Had a few drops, but you know what? He had a couple touchdowns, and he had that monster, monster catch right before the Stills touchdown. Not to mention he pulled in some other big first down grabs that helped keep that crowd, which I'll go on record. It's the loudest crowd I've ever been a part of and heard. Holy cow. I mean, just chest rattling. I went home that night. I had a headache. And I wasn't sick. I didn't. It wasn't like I was dehydrated. I'd eaten, you know, and everything. I had a headache that night. I think it was from the crowd noise. But I'm going to go with DeAndre Hopkins. He okay. finished with eight catches, 111 yards, two touchdowns. DeAndre Hopkins is a Martian. He's not an Earthling. He is a Martian. He's not a normal human being. He played tremendously. You know the thing about the the drops. Uh, I don't. I mean, they those are those are nearly impossible catches for the mortal human. Yeah. But for a Martian who normally catches those, it's kind of kind of jarring. But I think because of the game that Hop plays, it takes a little while. He didn't play much in the preseason. Mm-hmm. So it takes him a little while, I think, to get kind of back to, all right, body control, like where's my body need to be, where my hands got to be, all that kind of stuff. Hop's route against Lattimore for the first touchdown <laughs> is brilliant. <laughs> it's brilliant. It's actually not – it's almost not even a route. He's standing he, – he, Lattimore is face up on him, and Hop literally walks at him. And then Lattimore kind of freezes for a split second like, well, what's he doing? And then he goes right to the goalpost mm-hmm. and has him beat. And I've seen him use that move before, and I'm like, that was brilliant. It's really, really good. So that that happened, and I think uh, DeAndre Hopkins is a good one. I mean, if I don't say Sean Watson – yeah. I, mean, I put I'm, it on a tee for you, dude. I picked off the podcast. I put it on a tee for you. I, I thought you would take I Watson wanted and then to, make it tough for me because I was going to say I Hopkins. Choose him all, right. <clears throat> I choose him all the time, so I didn't. It's almost as if when you say Hopkins, you say Watson. Watson's got to be with Hopkins, so it's all, you can almost take both of them. 
which if you want to leave a third one for me and make it more difficult for me, you can if you choose. Nah, let's just do it. Okay. Let's, let's give this guy Look, some more praise. I you talk like about it. being from a different planet. My gosh. This, this guy. I mean, he fell on his tushy and hurt the, the, a little bit above his butt on when, he, when he went in the end zone. If it's his tailbone, is it his tailbone? I don't think? know if it's tailbone, but I don't know his backside. I I kind of felt like it was like right above his his uh well his what cheek is that they call it? Quick mini story time. Sorry, eighty six, eighty seven ish. I'm about to go to Fame City. You know, out there yeah, on the west Fame side. City, yeah, became Funplex. Yeah, I was standing on a chair trying to get a board game down before I left because we were going to play some board game with my friends, and I. I stood in the wrong part of the chair, and it, like, swung up on one end and, like, bruised my tailbone. Yeah. That hurt. And then we went, and that really hurt. Like, I was crying. I was, oh, yeah. a little, I was like, 10 years old. It, it hurt enough to cry. And then we went to Fame City, and we played bumper cars. Mm-hmm. That hurt. Don't, go, don't do bumper cars when you have a bruised tailbone. Oh, my gosh. Okay, so go ahead. Sorry. Well, playing quarterback with a bruised yeah. butt, hip, thigh, whatever it was. I thought one of my favorite plays of the whole night it was on third down and he scrambled away from Alex Anzalone. <laughs> he was running and he kind of had the ball back behind him like, "Yo, don't hit me. I'm going out of bounds. Like you can't catch me, but I'm going out of bounds. You can't catch me." It was really it was, he was not taunting him, but it was just it was just so funny to watch him. But I mean seriously, there's 50 seconds left in a game, no timeouts. And the the, the interesting thing about that I think is the fact that you they worked that situation all the time. In training camp, almost every single day, it was that same situation, 50 seconds, no timeouts. Mm-hmm. And then they would change and score. Two point, you're down by two. Now you're down by four. So it would determine whether they were going for a touchdown or not. So they've worked that situation. I don't think it ever came to where they went two plays. And they went two plays, bang, bang. And mm-hmm. it was brilliant protection. It was everything that you wanted to have. Uh, and uh, on two plays, it just it happened a, l- a little earlier than anybody expected. But and I've heard people say they scored too early. Nah, uh, there's no such you, thing. No. There's never, never no. such thing because as the, too early. you might not have had another chance. Exactly. I mean, you, you got to take the chance when you can to get points. Exactly, Mundo. So I will take Deshaun Watson. My honorable mention would have been uh, Whitney Merciless. Yeah, he'd, he'd been a good one. Heck of a game. But those Play, two played the run pretty well. Sack, pick. I thought he did a pretty good job. So but I Watson and Hopkins, those are the two cream of the crops. Okay, uh, today is September 11th, and you and I are kind of longer in the tooth than many. Yeah, yeah. We're a little older. Um, so just wanted to thank all of those first responders. I got to do – I got to MC an event today here in the stadium. The Houston Texans were honoring uh, probably about 50 police officers, firefighters. It was really cool. That, that was It was really a fun crowd. It was a good crowd to talk to. Yeah. Like, just ba- basically because they laughed at some of my stupid jokes. Of course. Because most crowds don't, so I felt good in front of these guys. And mm-hmm. There were some uh, ambassadors with us. It was Andy Kalu, Mike Quinn, Cecil Shorts, Fred Weary. Cool hearing from those dudes. So, yeah. thanks to all of them. Uh, where were you 9-11? Take uh, us back. How old were you? What were you doing? What was, what was going on? I was 29 years old. I just moved to North Carolina. You're 29 and I had gotten into the accounting world thinking that was going to be my occupation for the rest of my life. And I had been working at Ernst & Young for all of five days. And wow, I was I was on assignment, so people in the accounting world and the auditing world know what that means. I, I was not placed on a job yet because I, I was new to North Carolina. I was new to Ernst & Young. Like, nobody knew who I was. So I didn't get assigned on jobs. And it's just kind of a old buddy system, basically. And so I was in the office. And I was on a sign, so I literally was writing college football articles because I was I was bored. 
And I started hearing commotion about 9.30, 10 o'clock. I'm on the East Coast. So it was about 9.15, 9.30 when I started hearing that commotion. And I was, was like, what's going on? I started hearing something about tower or something, but I didn't really know. I got to the TV, and then I was like, oh, my God. And I got home, and my wife said her brother, my brother-in-law, Ben, had flown to Boston from Charlotte. And they flew over, or he was in the process of flying to Boston. That's where the planes uh, originated. He was flying over New York to get to Boston. And this was kind of before the FAA kind of knew what to say to planes. So the pilot is telling them everything that's happened. Oh, wow. As they're flying over New York. And it was a beautiful day, so you could see everything Mm. going on. And they got to Boston. They immediately got a rental car. And because they had gotten there so early, they were able to get one. At airports, you couldn't get them, apparently. Got a rental car. Drove through New York to pick up one of their colleagues. Mm. And they picked him up on the other side of the Brooklyn Bridge, I believe. And he was he was covered. He was just covered in ash and soot and just shaken up like you wouldn't believe. And and obviously he was the one of the lucky ones to get out of there. But um, it's just unbelievable day. And to the number of stories that I've read today online about people that went back in the building to get their people out. I read about a security um, a security guard at Morgan Stanley who went in and got all everybody out of the North Tower. I think the one that fell second. He went out and got people out of there, and he got everybody out, and then he went back in to get more people, and then that's when that mm. tower collapsed. So it, was, it it was just – I mean, it's amazing, not in a great way to talk about it, you know, but I just remember that story of my brother-in-law, and I it just kind of put everything in perspective. And, you know, football ended up being a kind of a, a good healing salve, so to speak, for people to kind of take their minds off of what was going on, but – uh, that was that was a tough that was a tough time and to be an adult with little kids like man what kind of world are we growing up are, are these kids gonna, are my kids going to grow up in you know what's yeah. it going to be like it was kind of a tough realization that day of like wow what's this is more that's going to happen like where's going to happen and then obviously security changed about airports and all these other places so um, a very unique time and obviously nine eleven was a really tough day eighteen years ago yeah how about you I was in Dallas man I I graduated college about a year before. And I was a producer at a place called TXCN, Texas oh, yeah. Cable News. It was kind of like a CNN for Texas. I was in their sports department. And, um, it was a Tuesday. It was a really nice day. It wasn't hot. Yeah. I think there had been like a cold front that had rolled through, so it was like clear. And I went and running with um, one of my coworkers. Yeah. He was a news anchor, a guy named Brian Giesensaw. You can see him on MLB TV a lot. He's yeah. in Cincinnati now. But I drove over to his house, pick him up. His wife had the TV on, and... I guess one of the planes had just hit. Yeah. And a few years before, I had read a Tom Clancy novel. I can't remember which one it was, but there's a novel that, uh, you know, these terrorists on the the State of the Union night, they fly one to the Capitol and they basically like wipe out the government. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Except for Jack Ryan. So, anyways, that's the first thing I thought. I was like, oh, well. Yeah. Well, at first I thought, Matt, I didn't. I wasn't really watching, so I was like, ah, it's just probably like a Cessna or whatever. Right, right. And then he's. He was getting something, and he's coming out. And as we're like walking out the door, his wife says, "Oh no, a second one hit." And I didn't know. Like I just thought it was like two random little planes. Right. And uh, I was like, "Oh well, that's that's a coordinated terrorist attack." Right. So I spent the whole time driving to White Rock Lake, about five minutes away, just talking about this novel because like we didn't have the radio on. Or right. Get there. We run about five six miles. Come home. We we're talking because. Uh, we didn't have the radio on, so we're just talking. The windows are down because you're sweaty and everything. I drop them off. Yeah. Uh, I get back on the freeway, and I turn the radio on, and it was the country station. 
and the reporter was saying, oh, my gosh, one of the towers just fell. And I thought, I was like, you know what, this guy probably needs to be fired. There's no way that the World Trade Center could have possibly fallen. I mean, right. this is very irresponsible. Right. I'm thinking, like, maybe a piece of window fell off. Right, 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 right. And I pull in my garage, and my roommate, like, opens the door. And this guy, so we're right out of college, and this guy didn't have, like, a regular job. Yeah. And I don't know what he was doing up. I was like, what is going on? And then I go upstairs and see it, and I was like, holy oh my gosh. moly. Yeah, and then, uh, you know, Ugh. later that day, we went into work. We didn't really talk about sports that much for a while, but uh, certainly did not. Yeah, it was it was different. The world changed in so many ways. So yeah. Anyways, I saw some people on Twitter kind of recounting their versions of what they were doing, and yeah. you know they weren't there either. But it's just right. kind of interesting to hear where you were. It's it's what our JFK never... assassination moment yeah. for our parents, for our grandparents. It's where were you when you heard about Pearl Harbor? Yep. So it's uh, it's one of those days, one of those things to talk about. Yeah, absolutely. And it, you know, it's one of those days you you wish never happened. Obviously, but it's it just it was such an indication of like what our world would you know turn into, mm-hmm. and you know the the battles that we had to fight. But our first responders just, I mean the the, the photos that came from New York. Mm. I mean, just telling the story without words was just it was just incredible. It was absolutely incredible. So um, our our hats go off to all of those that have served. To help make this country safe, to make that area safe, and to ensure that nothing like that happens again on our soil. It's been a long 18 years since that day, and yet it feels like it was just yesterday. And to think that something like that did happen on our American soil. But hopefully we have become stronger as a nation. Hopefully we will continue to grow stronger as a nation. Hopefully. And these events will not happen in our future but that was uh, such a tragic day. As I said earlier in the show, I lost a friend of mine from Brown uh, who worked for a financial company in the Twin Towers and lost him that day. And I think about him often, not just on this day, but when we go to New York and I think about losing him to such unspeakable violence and evil. And uh, hopefully uh, that will not happen again. And we can keep our thoughts on football uh, as we would like to be and. And keep football, obviously, in perspective. People lost lives. Football, obviously, is a game. But we know it has, as I said in our podcast, it does have some healing abilities uh, for, for all things, whether it's something having to do with 9-11 uh, or tragedy in a family, football, illness. Football can, can help heal. It doesn't solve everything, but uh, it, it can definitely help. And, and that's why I love doing this show, to be part of – Whatever you have going on, if I can help in any way, shape, or form, just have a laugh, just to be informed, like, hey, I didn't know that. Uh, or, hey, I love listening to Clint Stern with John Harris, man. If that's what we do, then great. That's absolutely awesome. Now, speaking of me, we got more of me coming up next. Texans replay right here on our flagship, Sports Radio 610. Good replay show. Tune in. It's only on Wednesday, this one time. It's typically on Tuesday, but it's tonight because we played Monday. Take a listen. Texans replay coming up next. A big thanks to everybody involved in the show. Appreciate you, Brian McDonald. You did more tonight than you'll ever know. Thank you, brother. We will see you tomorrow. And as always, go Texans.